And on that day, they did not know that it was the first day of the best day of the rest of their lives. They didn't know it because they went to that tomb with their anointing oils. And they went to that tomb assuming that the best had already happened. They went to that tomb looking for a dead body. And the witness said, he is not here. He is not here. So where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Oh, come on. It's Easter. Surely someone knows where is he? He is not here because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's alive and where is he? Right here. Right here. They went thinking it was the worst day of the rest of their lives. And the worst day became the best day because it was resurrection day. Get out of the tomb! <laughs> the tomb cannot contain the spirit of life and the spirit of Christ available to each one of us. Where is he? Put your hand over your heart. He's here. And if today your heart feels like a tomb for whatever reason, today is the breaking open time. Today is the Easter time. Today is the time to really live. If you've put your life on hold, the risen Christ says, open up. It's Easter for all of us. And Easter, it's not just a day. And in fact, it's not just a season. It really is a lifetime. Thank you, Gospel Ensemble, for that Easter song. The best is yet to come. <laughs> But it raises the question, what would it be like if Christ had not risen? We'd have nothing to celebrate, and we wouldn't be singing, the best is yet to come. We'd be singing, I will survive. <laughs> Maybe some of you are singing that this morning after whatever happened last night. But, uh <laughs> but it does raise the question, what would life be like? if we could not celebrate the empty tomb and the risen Christ. Well, today your gospel scripture gives us a wonderful picture of what that would be. In fact, it's an awful picture of what that would be because the disciples thought that the best had already happened. And this scripture describes what's going on with them. If you look on the bottom of page two, you see that the scripture says, in the evening of that same day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked. That's the first sign that they didn't know Easter had come. The doors were locked in the room where the disciples were for fear of the temple authorities. Jesus had come out of the tomb. Jesus was risen. But the disciples, they didn't know it. So what did they do? They crawled into a tomb. And they locked the doors. They were afraid, desperately afraid. They were in despair. They thought the one who they loved and followed had died. They thought he was dead, dead to the dead, dead. They thought it was over. Gone. 
That's how they were living. So they locked the doors and they huddled together. And they shared their fear experience with one another. And one disciple's fear bled into the other disciple's fear, into the other disciple's fear. And it was exponential fear. Because their fear rubbed off on each other and they created stories. They said to each other, they killed him. And he's dead. And we're next. So let's hide. Let's huddle together. What they didn't realize was that they couldn't be any deader than they were at that moment living in that kind of fear. Now this scripture gives us an insight into what Easter would be like if Jesus hadn't risen. It wouldn't be Easter. It'd just be the Easter bunny and plastic eggs. <laughs> be springtime, but not a real springtime. And yet we get a window here into who God is. Because right there when they're behind these locked doors, when they've set the alarms, when they've huddled together, God surprises them. It's an exciting piece of action. God surprises them through Jesus as Jesus came and stood among them right there in the middle of their fear and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Give up your fear. I'm alive and with my life there is now peace. It's a surprising moment. I wonder why peace be with you is offered twice in this scripture. I think because they were so stunned the first time they couldn't hear it. So their sense of being amazed gives way to this sense of joy when Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Believe it. Receive it. Live it. Experience it. Now this isn't some kind of fantasy peace. This isn't some kind of mystical, magical peace. This isn't poof you kind of peace. It's a real peace that comes to real people experiencing real wounded lives. And how this comes clear is that Jesus very intentionally says, peace be with you. And then having said this, he shows them the marks of the crucifixion. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. How amazing is that? But the wounds were still there. He said that very intentionally because he knew that some of them had been wounded and would be wounded. And he knew that some of us would be wounded in our lifetimes and some of us would have scars that would go with us to the grave. But we can live beyond the scars. We can live a full and free and resurrected life. Sometimes we think we need to wait till we're healed to do good. Sometimes we think we need to get past our wounds before we can bear witness to the loving and living God. And so we go into this tomb saying, I'll come out when I'm healed. Jesus is saying, come out now, wounds and all. Jesus was giving them a challenge to live the Easter story, to write the story with their lives. He was saying, you can be more than you are. You can live past your fear. And so he says to them, after calling them to peace, as God sent me, so I am sending you. Get out of the tomb, live. Now if Jesus was able to give us that message personally today, I think he would send us out with a tool to remind us of the fullness of our faith. And one tool that Jesus might would use is this resurrection coffee mug. <laughs> <laughs> 
cobalt blue. <laughs> and it may seem like an ordinary mug, but it really isn't. I mean, it says resurrection right on it. And resurrection's not just a church. It's not a place. It's not this building. What we're learning is that resurrection is us. And so what Jesus is saying to them is, get out and live a full cup life. Get out there and make a difference in the world. And the other scriptures are show what happens when they heeded his call and took that message out. So the question for us today is, how do we live a full cup life once and for all, never turning back, never going back into the tomb again? No, there's no coffee in it, so don't worry, I'm not going to splash you. <laughs> but how do we live the full cup life? The first piece you've already seen in the scripture is get out of the tomb, get out there. Get out there. And then live these words. As God sent me, so I'm sending you. And when you go out, go out as peace bearers and peace makers. Why were they hiding in that room? Because they'd all been victims of violence. They'd all experienced the violent culture in which they lived and that violence made them afraid. Not that much has really changed. We also live in a violent culture. We're surrounded by violence. But where does that violence begin? I mean, most of you here would probably say, I haven't shot anyone in the last week, so I don't think I'm a violent person. But have you thought ill of someone in the last week? Bullets don't just come from guns. They come from people's mouths. Bullets can be words. So it may not seem that violent to say, hey, look at her. Who does she think she is? But anytime we demean anyone in any way with any word, it is a form of violence. And violence happens in very subtle ways. It happens from a scarcity mentality. It happens from not feeling good enough. It happens from a competitive spirit. Sometimes we are living violent lives spiritually and we don't even realize it. Henry Nouwen is a spiritual writer who discovered the way that violence snuck into his life. He called himself a minister. Hi, Henry. <laughs> Wonderful spiritual writer. Um, but he came to a point where in the name of ministry, he realized he was doing violence. Here's his words. Most of my past life has been built around the idea that my value depends on what I do. I made it through grade school, high school, and university. I earned my degrees and awards, and I made my career. Yes, with many others, I fought my way up. Fought my way up. Fought to the lonely top of a little success, a little popularity, a little power. Now I start to see how violent that journey was. So filled with desires to be better than others, so marked by rivalry and competition, so pervaded with compulsions and obsessions, so spotted with moments of suspicion, jealousy, resentment, revenge. Oh sure, most of what I did was called ministry. The ministry of justice and peace, the ministry of forgiveness and reconciliation, the ministry of healing and wholeness. Yet when those who want peace are as interested in success, popularity, and power as those who want war, what then is the real difference between war and peace? 
I'm learning that peace is first of all the art of being. I'm discovering in myself an inner at-homeness that I did not know before. I am even feeling the unusual desire to do a lot less and be a lot more. Where do those, wood, those word bullets begin? The truth is most of them begin with us shooting those bullets at ourselves. Saying, I'm not good enough. I haven't tried hard enough. I've not worked enough. I didn't say I love you enough. I didn't reach out enough. I'm not enough. So we do violence to ourselves, and then that naturally leads to violence towards others. Hmm. It, it's amazing how it also comes out of this feeling that there's not enough. And oftentimes this feeling of not enough really is that. It's just a feeling. There is enough. But we've created a story around it. Oh, I'll give you a really easy example of this. And, I was growing up, I really got along really well with my brother most of the time. The perfect day for us was going along the canals in Denaire, California, there in the Central Valley, and catching fish and riding our bikes and enjoying the wonderful California weather. But that could easily end with just a few words from mom. And those words were, do you boys want to share a cookie? <laughs> That's all it took. I mean, suddenly, that cookie took on incredible significance. Doesn't matter what else we'd eaten that day. Doesn't matter how full we were. Doesn't matter how wonderful a day it had been. We had to share the cookie. And the first thought that would go through my mind was, how can I get more cookie than Paul? Now, mother was, was pretty wise to this. And she would do this little thing where one of us could cut the cookie in half and the other person got to choose. And I tell you what, we both were artists at this. We'd get down there at the table level. We'd measure the cookie. We'd step back a bit, get a good look at the cookie, and then go. Okay, now you pick. And sometimes, even with our best attention and care, it didn't work out. And the situation would escalate. And it would explode. And the next thing you know, somehow we had smashed each other and that cookie into nothing but crumbles. <laughs> We'd say, Mom, do you have another cookie? <laughs> and she'd say, no, you have to live with what you created. There's enough. But we fight over it. And we turn it into crumbs. And it doesn't just happen to cookies. It happens to workplaces, to neighborhoods, to cities, to homes, to countries, to worlds, and to churches. We are living the resurrection life. And yet that violence can sneak in. And it can all crumble. That's why Jesus sends them out. To create a different kind of community. And there in Acts, he describes what that community is like. Luke writes, the community of believers was of one soul and one heart. Doesn't say one personality. Doesn't say one way of being. Doesn't say of one ethnicity. Doesn't say of one culture. Doesn't say of one class. It says they were of one soul and one heart. So what does it mean to be a people of heart? Let's hear some words from Henry now and again about what it means to be a people of heart. 
The mind tries to understand, grasp problems, discern different aspects of reality, and probe the mystery of life. The heart allows us to enter into relationship and become children of God and siblings of each other. Long before our mind is able to exercise its power, our heart is already able to develop a trusting human relationship. God's loving spirit has touched us long before we can walk, feel, or talk. The spiritual life of heart and soul is the divine gift of love that makes us able to reveal a presence much greater than ourselves. This is a love that transcends all thoughts and feelings precisely because it is rooted in God's love, a love that precedes all human loves. Hmm. So sometimes resurrection is not so much coming out of the tomb. It's in a sense going back to the womb, back to that place. It's a heart place, a nurturing place. A love place. You know, we can overthink stuff. When we overthink stuff, we begin to tell stories. We create stuff. To be one heart and one soul is to get back to that relationship heart level. That place that we can see in each other when we stop long enough and shut up long enough to look each other in the eye. And to see the Christ in each other. Sometimes our words just create so much noise and so many blocks and so many barriers. We can't talk ourselves out of it. We can't think ourselves out of it. But we can get back to the heart and back to the soul. And then it becomes real. None of them claimed anything as their own. Rather, everything was held in common, heart to heart, soul to soul. Oh, because of this, the apostles continued to testify with great power to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. What a wonderful line. Great grace was upon them all. No cookie crumbs. Great grace, heart, soul. There was not a needy person among them, for those who owned property or houses would sell them and lay the money at the apostles' feet. It was then distributed to each as any had need. Most recent statistic, if only 1% of the wealthiest people simply gave 1% of their income, world poverty and hunger would end. It's not that much. It's giving, it's called, it's releasing, it's freeing up, it's sharing. That's community. You know heart when you feel it. You know heart when it's real. So the cup, it's simply a reminder to remember our connection. And with every sip of tea or coffee to know that we really are a community called to love each other in true and simple ways. So living the cup, it's getting out of those closed doors. It's sharing. And then in 1 John, we see this wonderful, wonderful, power yet, powerful yet simple line. What we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Get out of the closed doors, share from your heart, and then talk about it. Talk about the power of it. That's evangelism. 
For some of us who grew up in conservative evangelical backgrounds, evangelism was going door to door and handing out flyers and getting scared to death when someone opened the door holding a beer and wearing their underwear. <laughs> you know, it was about putting a bumper sticker on your car that said, honk if you love Jesus. It was going on the corner and selling pencils. It was walking around school with a great big Bible and getting picked on. Some of us have lived those horror stories. I mean, the message from that is Jesus was a nerd. <laughs> Come be a nerd with me. It's good. Nerds for Jesus. <laughs> and actually, this message says, just declare what you've seen and heard. Be real about it so tomorrow when you go to work, you have your resurrection mug, you're getting some coffee or whatever, and someone says, how was your weekend? What did you do this weekend? Well, the natural response might be, well, I didn't do anything. And the truth is, you were blessed by the gospel ensemble, and you were moved by prayer, and you had a great conversation with someone about your spiritual life. Yet when someone asks you, oh, I didn't do anything, you did something amazing and powerful, so just talk about it. How was your weekend? Well, I wish you'd have been at church with me, because we had church, and we experienced love. It's that easy. So the cup reminds you just to tell the story, your story, in your own words, that simple. What is full cup living? It's getting out of the tomb. It's sharing, getting back to the heart. And it's simply talking about it, giving it away. That's Easter. Amen.